Welcome to Tulsa Bible Church's brand new podcast called Hidden God, where we explore issues of theology and culture in order to help build healthy, relevant churches right here in the Tulsa area and in the States. I'm joined by Daniel Newberry. He's my co-host. My name is Jared Verweel, and this is Hidden God. Hey, welcome back to Hidden God. Um, your host, Jared Verweel, joined by my co-host, Daniel Newberry. Yo. Daniel, what's up, man? For some reason, our office smells a lot better. That's where I was going to go with it. It yes. does. It does. It's crazy. It's correlated somehow with the new person. Yeah. Exciting times. We've we've added to the staff yes. at Tulsa Bible Church and a, a momentous mm-hmm. addition that, uh, that we have a brand new children's director. Yeah. Maddie Boltinghouse. Super excited. Just had lunch today. Gave her all the uh, onboarding policies. Mm-hmm. Here's what to do. Here's what not to do. Here's to here's what to watch out for about Daniel Newberry. Yeah, there you go. That's what that's what took an hour and a half, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man, yeah. this is this is gonna be great, though. Yeah, it is. She's yeah. uh, I mean, she's gonna be a great addition to the staff. I think it's kind of nice to come in to the workplace and be greeted by a smile rather than. A grimace, you know what I'm saying? Right. Because you and I are so, not a grimace, you and I are so uh, not smiley people sometimes. And so, and she is, she's just so outgoing and smiley and happy. And it's just, she's a good, and like you said, I mean, that first day, as soon as she moved in, I think she turned on incense or something. And it just, I noticed pre-Maddie, every time I walked in the office, there was some sort of sour smell. Yeah. And I tried to overpower it with the smell of my coffee. Right. But it never worked. You know, in fact, I think the coffee made it worse. But then just Maddie comes in, and I really like the way our office functions now <laughs> and it's smells. So much better. So much better. So much better, yeah. And Maddie's going to be a great addition. And I don't know how she met this guy, though, Casey. I, I don't know. I'm I'm wondering about him. He's, I don't know. He's a little tall. See, he is tall. <laughs> I don't trust tall people. He's really. <laughs> why Why is that? Why are tall it's people? It's just something about him. I don't know. It's If you're over six feet you're 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 too high for you're inconspicuous something about it right or you are conspicuous yeah yeah Yeah. i don't know he seems brainy yeah seems smart i don't trust smart people either he's an an accountant well there you go numbers guy yeah i mean yeah how many are we being are we being truthful with the numbers casey he's he's list he's like yeah he's doing a report right now yeah He's writing probably a review right now and saying, I like this podcast until this episode. <laughs> now it's getting weird. <laughs> Casey, we love you and uh, grateful for your family. Yes. Tell us about Bible Church. Very much. Man, and, um, you know, I'm a slave driver, so mm. Maddie's going to be working. She's going to be sweating. She's going to be working hard. Yeah. Up in here. I don't, I don't give an inch on anything. Nope. You are horrible. So, Casey, we need you. We need you here to support us <laughs> in the effort. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to go with this anymore. <laughs> uh, we we had something on the yeah. coffee thing going. Yeah. I think that was yeah. that was going pretty good. What kind of Okay, if you go to Starbucks, mm. what's your what's your like go-to drink? Honestly, I go to Starbucks for the sugary drinks because their coffee's not worth it. So, I always get the caramel frappuccino. Caramel frapp. Mm-hmm. Cold, hot. Cold cold can absolutely you, can you get a hot frappuccino it'd be disgusting i, yeah. I imagine but you can get almost i didn't know you could get cold lattes now because now no matter what coffee shop i go to 
I asked for a latte. And they're like, you want it cold? Cold or hot? No, I don't want it cold. I want it hot. It's a latte. Yeah. I don't know. It's something new people are doing. Yeah. But I usually don't go to Starbucks. That's that's my thing. I usually, I'm a little hipster when it comes to coffee. Well, and people are weird. People are weird. Man, I'm like. I'm weird. I'm totally normal. Yeah. I don't know why everybody else is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the weirdest guy ever. I, I know I am. I'm just. It's, God has blessed me with weirdness. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're in we're in unity. That's mm-hmm. good. <laughs> Man, we are going to start a brand new series today on Hidden God. I'm really excited about this one, and we're just this is a very relatively new podcast. We're not even up to double digits in our episode number mm. yet, but this topic in particular, I think, is going to be a good one. And this is one of my heroes of the faith. Yeah, guy that I read, I go to all the time. If you've listened to many sermons here at Tulsa Bible Church. Um, C.S. Lewis is one of the writers that has influenced me the most in Christian. I don't know him personally through his writings. He has, he has had a deep and a profound impact on my life. He's influenced so many people in the faith. I mean, he's been an influence on the church for a long time now since his, uh, whenever it is he was around. Yeah. 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 I see Protestant and Catholics both quoting him a lot. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, and that's the... That is one of the key areas where Lewis has tapped into something. Mm-hmm. He, he is beyond denominational mm-hmm. crosses. Um, he, he just, he finds topics, and we'll talk about that a little bit today with mere Christianity. But what we're going to do for the next several weeks here and several episodes is talk about dialoguing through some of these key principles and philosophies that C.S. Lewis brought out in mere Christianity, which is just a, a staple if you haven't heard mm-hmm. of mere Christianity, want to encourage you to go get a, get a copy of it. Mm-hmm. My copy is sitting right on the desk here as we're talking. Mm-hmm. It is just so good. I've probably have more highlights and tracing of thinking patterns in C.S. Lewis through this book, I think, than almost any other writer I go to. He's, he's just profound. He's a great writer. He is. He is. It, it can be confusing sometimes, but he also, he, he talks in roundabout sentences a lot, but it is always very simply put. Yeah. He's an amazing writer. Well, and a lot of times, because he does mm-hmm. talk like that, I, I got to go back, mm-hmm. reread a paragraph. Yeah. Okay, I, I got to go back, read that same one again yep. <laughs> and again. I'm like, okay, now I got it. Though not as endless as the Bible, you can still read C.S. Lewis and, and see something new every time because you didn't understand it the first time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And, well, and the fact that he wrote these books, I mean... Uh, Mere Christianity was probably 40s, I think, early 50s mm-hmm. when that came out, 1950. Yeah, that sounds right. And it's still relevant. Yeah. It is It is beyond time. It's amazing. And so so many ways we're looking at a uh, man's understanding of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Here it's not on the same level of Scripture. C.S. Lewis isn't Jesus. Right. Right. And, of course and, not. And several people have, have gone in and dove into his theology and some areas where they're kind of like wondering, Hey, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. See some universalism here. Like what's his perspective on this mere Christianity? It's not a systematic theology. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not written that way. Um, it's written to make a moral argument for the existence of God mm-hmm. and to, to have people's personal experience lead them to the truth of the gospel. Right. And that's what I love the most about it. So for the next several weeks, we're going to talk through um, key dialogues in mere Christianity. And today we're going to handle the first section of his book that ultimately gets to the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. He's got a chapter in there, chapter five. We have a cause to be uneasy. 
yes. about the goodness of God. And when you say that, like, <laughs> how can you be uneasy about God's goodness? He's like Jesus. Yeah. He's well, grace. It's mercy. Mm-hmm. Kindness. But it's, it's you have a constant. Well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but it's when you realize that you're not good. <laughs> That's when you have a cause to be uneasy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just a, w- a great way to build some arguments and, and reason through scripture. These topics is awesome. So a little background on mere Christianity before we start. Um, Lewis was a masterful essay writer before he ever got uh, popular with some of his books and all the signature classics mm-hmm. that we read now. Um, mm-hmm. But he achieved great fame with his radio broadcast, The Wartime Talks during World War II is the British Broadcasting Company, the BBC, was they knew that during World War II, there was a need for Christian principles mm-hmm. and there was a need for the hope of a religion mm-hmm. to the people through a public platform of radio. In walks in C.S. Lewis. So remind me, is Lewis, did he serve in the war? First. He served in World War One. He's one of these guys, greatest generation, mm-hmm. lived through two world wars. Okay. Um, Served in World War One. That's where a lot of the friendships developed that he talks about in his right. autobiographies. And, right. Uh, but World War Two was where the uh, Christian theology. It was after World War One that he became a believer, mm-hmm. wrestling through some of those things. And you know his his work in uh, in scholarship and in the academic circles mm-hmm. led him to start penning some of these things down in a for a Christian context. Well, and that certainly qualifies him to be the one doing these radio talks during World War II. He saw the horrors of World War One. They brought him to Christ. And then now he can share that hope with people during this other heinous time that we were going through. Yeah. And you can't you can't understand Lewis without understanding the context of World War Two. Absolutely. It's uh, Chronicles of Narnia, for instance. I mean, this is a family, a group of children that mm-hmm. escape to a, an imaginary land of Narnia during mm-hmm. wartime. Yeah. In their country, I mean, that, that that was the whole basis of the book to get to the kingdom of God, the truth of the kingdom, mm-hmm. even when you're suffering and going through hard times. It's just awesome. So, so Mere Christianity actually started as pamphlets. It started as these broadcast talks mm-hmm. that Lewis was delivering. Mm-hmm. He groups several of them together into pamphlets. And so, if if you read Christianity, it's broken out into about three or four different divisions. Mm-hmm. Those were the original pamphlets that made up uh, mere Christianity. Interesting, the title actually is not original to Lewis. Um, he, I don't know, people debate whether or not he actually took the title from Richard Baxter, but Richard Baxter was a Puritan writer, mm. one of the best Reformed pastors that you will come across in the Puritan era mm-hmm. for the United States here and for America and this influence that he had. But he was the first to use this term. Mere Christianity. Really? In, in some of his writings? In some of his writings. Lewis wow. Lewis studied English literature. It's one of his uh, first fellowships that he had in a, a college in, in England. And and he, uh, and he picked up on Baxter's writing. Everybody believes that it was influenced by Richard Baxter, the title of his book. Hmm. Nobody knows exactly how it happened and the affinity that Lewis had for Baxter, but it's not original to him. A great title for a book. Mm-hmm. He wanted to produce a basic Christianity that was beyond, this goes to your point earlier, beyond mm-hmm. denominational affiliations. Right. He, he wanted something that was uh, not necessarily, this isn't going to be strictly Catholic. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to be strictly Anglican mm-hmm. in its approach. I want to talk about scripture and I want to talk about God 
when the with the foundational topics that are beyond the mm-hmm. squabbles of you know do you dip or do you sprinkle in your right. baptism or right. how do you take the Lord's Supper and all of these things and and really what it produced is something akin to to an ancient ancient source of theology that we know as as the creeds mm-hmm. the confessions of faith from uh, Reformation doctrine which is which is wonderful. Yeah, and it's it's really great that he he pursued this book in that manner because what is beautiful about the different denominations is that there are people who strongly believe what they read from Scripture so much so that they're they're not willing to willing to shift either way, and that's that is beautiful. But they can also be very divisive among the Christian faith as yeah. a result. And I love that he said that he recognizes that, and he says we can pursue the basics of Christianity. We can pursue mere Christianity all together as one, one faith. We don't have to be separated by the denominations over this. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was really interesting. Lewis wasn't against denominations. Of course not. Um, he, he saw the reality of them. The illustration that he gave was like a, a hallway Mm -hmm. with a bunch of different rooms in it. And so you might be walking down this hallway and let's say in one room is the Baptists, Mm -hmm. Baptist denomination. You've got a community of Baptist believers wrestling through theology and talking through topics under that umbrella. You go a door down, you've got the Methodists. Mm. You go another door down, you've got, you know, a different Presbyterian view, whatever it is. But, but the illustration he gave is whenever you walk in that door into that room, you've got the fireplace, you've got a couch, you probably got some food. You've got great friends mm-hmm. doing theology in community. Mm-hmm. And so there's a healthy aspect of, yeah, we realize there's some differences here. We're not going to get to to those, the, the little differences that might separate us. Let's talk as a community about these foundational things, which is where mere Christianity comes out. Like I said, it's not a, a systematic theology. You're not going to read, here's the doctrine of God. Here's the doctrine of soteriology. That's not how Lewis approaches it. Instead, he begins with human experience, and he, and he tends to go back to the moral law hmm. a lot. And so he's appealing to a a human conscience mm-hmm. that is that actually will probably hit on the heartstrings of just about anybody. Yeah, absolutely, cool. absolutely. And and also, he, I mean, we put down our notes here. He also grounds his thinking in desire. And I'm I'm going to ask you what what does that mean? Yeah, Lewis would pick up his pen following Augustine and a lot of uh, Plato, the early Greek philosophers. Mm. He was very familiar with um, this idea of, of wisdom through life mm-hmm. promoted by the philosophers, but that a lot of the things that we experience start with our desires, emotions, the things that appeal to us. Mm. It all f- funnels through the avenue, what I would call our hearts. Right. You know, the heart is the filter to everything else. And and he just, um, he had a way of talking about, let's not just say what sin is. Sin is a, a personal affront to God okay, but why do you have the desire to sin? You know, mm. let's go even a step farther back than that. Like, what is it What is it in sin that appeals to your heart, to your emotions? Right. And he start, and he goes to this human experience. Again, it's a common human experience. A lot of it goes back to desire, which is something we just don't, you don't hear about that a ton yeah. in churches today. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a, 
one of our weaknesses. I think we need to talk more yeah. about desire. And I mean, it's like you said, he doesn't, he doesn't approach this with a systematic approach in his theology, but nonetheless, he's rounding out to theology. And this is one of the biggest questions we ask in theology is, why do we do this? You know, why does God do this? Why do we do this? You know, right. desire is in everything. Right. Yeah. You can't get away from it. No, absolutely and not. And it's, again, it's that human element that just brings a commonality to all of us. Like, mm-hmm. like I get it. Mm-hmm. And my desires, yeah, they, they influence everything. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, you personally, you say he's one of you, he's a, he's a hero of yours in the faith. What do you love best about Lewis's writings? You know, I first came across Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. I love it. Most people did. That's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I read the book, um, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in third grade. Wow. And at the time, I was like, nah. And, you know, <laughs> I was trying to figure out how not to read the book and just pass the tests and get on with this thing. My goodness. Like, then I had kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I started reading more fictional literature. And right away, Lewis pops up. And, and we started, we have wow. gone, as a family, we've gone through the Chronicles of Narnia at least three times. Wow. And every single time, it's like whenever we pick up that book, read a chapter a night, my kids are just waiting for me to cry <laughs> as I read it. And I see Aslan as this great picture of of Christ, yeah. of God in the, in the scriptures, the way that he is revealed to children, to men, and, and what he does in those those stories. Even now, just talking about it, kind of gets mm. getting tingles in my spine, which mm. um, sadly to say, you know, in scripture, sometimes I, I think about Christ, you know, and I, I don't have that personal experience as much as I do equate with the Chronicles of, Chronicles of Narnia at, the, at times, mm. which um, it's just a reflection, right? This is what we're always trying to do is get back to Christ in our personal relationship with God. And I just see so much of that depicted in these stories. Right. And the first place I go is just, man, this reveals the truth of the gospel. Yeah. So in story form. Yeah. With imagination and and it captures my heart. Man, I just, I, I love it. So it's absolutely I've, beautiful. I first got into the uh, Chronicles of Narnia. I think his best is The Great Divorce. Oh, yeah. Man, I, I love it. I've got a... There's a college guy in our ministry mm-hmm. here, Gunner, that's reading through The Great Divorce right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. We've been talking about it. I'm like, man, let's let's start going through this chapter at a time. Yeah. Like, I would love to do it. It's another fictional story. Right. The divorce between heaven and hell. And oh my goodness, it just makes you makes you think and, and dive into the lives of mm-hmm. individuals on pages and how does it influence your life, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Yeah. Um, that's what Lewis does is in all of his writings is he really, he makes you think about the things you probably wouldn't have thought of before, Yeah, you know, and that's, he does that exactly here in mere Christianity. He brings up a lot of morality and things like that, that you probably wouldn't have thought of just on your everyday basis, you know? Yeah. And then you, and then you read it and you're like, why didn't I think of that? Exactly. Yeah. It's (laughs) so simple. (laughs) Right. Why did it take so many words to just, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And and I do want to say like, you know, I, I use a lot of sermon illustrations. Mm Mm-hmm with Lewis and Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. We use a lot of quotes. Yeah. Um, he's not Jesus. Right. You know, yeah, I, and I, I don't want to become like the mouth, mouthpiece for C.S. Lewis right. behind the pulpit. I want to be the mouthpiece for Christ mm-hmm. and for God's word, period. Right. Um, but this is something that it's, it is so pervasive in our culture. People are so familiar with it. It is crossed Christianity lines into a secular world. The mm-hmm. secular world sees the value yeah. of these stories from the Chronicles of Narnia. It's it's just amazing. 
And he makes some just profound um, reasonings, mm-hmm. lines of thinking that that have shaped and they're going to continue to shape Christian thought mm-hmm. for, for centuries ahead of us. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's a very influential theologian of this time. No, no doubt. Yeah. I kind of have a, I don't know why I got this love relationship with a man. It's <laughs> like Lewis and Keller. Yeah. They're probably too high. Yeah. In my life, you know, I need to. Well, what I love about both of them is they speak, they write to you in a dialogue. They write in a dialogue kind of fashion. It's kind of like when you're reading it, they're talking with you about the topic. Exactly. So it's easy to get to know them personally as you're reading their works. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. So we want to, we want to look at uh, the goodness of God, mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis's explanation of the goodness of God, and really this first part of mere Christianity where he makes the moral argument mm-hmm. for the existence of God and, and his, the way he reasons and um, explains himself mm-hmm. in these first five chapters is just, it's amazing. It yeah. makes, it makes so much sense when you go back and read it. But yeah, you start out with this question, where would Lewis start in order to understand God's goodness? He goes to creation. I mean, he, like we just said, you know, his book is not the Bible. He is not Jesus. He's going back to the scriptures just like you and I should. And so he starts with creation. God, the creation was good. The creation of mankind was very good. You know, the that's what, you know, you go to Genesis 1 and you see all this. And he talks about how the creation points to a God. He says if we were to, in, in one of the first few chapters, he says, if we were to look at this and say that we know anything about God, it's that he's an artist. Because the creation is beautiful, right? You know, and it's terrifying because yeah. it's also trying to kill you while it's beautiful. Man, yeah, creation. You know, when you're looking out at some scenic landscapes, my wall calendar mm-hmm. it's got mm-hmm. tulips and roses and all <laughs> that. You guys know what I'm talking about. It, it looks like it's it's serene. It's a great place. We all want to go yeah. outside, go camping, take yeah. in some sights, take some pictures. But my goodness, man, you walk one day in the jungle, yeah. Man, and it is a prey, predator, mm-hmm. eat or be eaten, mm-hmm. only the strong survive kind of stuff. So, yeah, there is a goodness. There's a beauty to creation. There's right. a, there's an artist behind it. Just didn't happen. Yeah. There's design. Absolutely. Intentional design is what we, we talk about with scientific circles and, and just even secular approaches mm-hmm. as they look at the universe. And Lewis does start there with uh, with the beauty of God. There's actually a book. Uh, C.S. Lewis as Philosopher. It's mm-hmm. written by a couple different guys. And the subtitle is um, Exploring the Truth, Goodness, and Beauty of God. Hmm. And those those three things, it's called the, uh, I think it's called the Trivium. Um, I'm butchering this now. There's a phrase for those three things. They're, they're called the Transcendentals. And that's a phrase that came from the early right. philosophers, ancient Greek philosophers. The truth, truth, goodness, and beauty hmm. Are, are three things at the foundation of all of life, mm-hmm. right? So Lewis is getting to the beauty of God's creation, mm-hmm. the truth through creation, and also the goodness when you when God pronounces it. Hey, man, this is this is good. After mm-hmm. He creates woman, mm-hmm. this is this is very, very good. good. Yeah, very yep. good. Yeah, that's good for us men to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but but it's also yeah. And to your point, it's good. It's beautiful, but it, it is terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely. You ever see Madagascar? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the scene where they're walking through the jungle and there's this little duck <laughs> yes. that starts crossing their path? Yes. It's like yeah. you've, you've got the zebra guy there. Uh-huh. Who did the voice of the zebra? I forgot. I forget his name. Um, Man, he was, he was so funny. Yeah. It's, uh, I really don't remember. Uh, Chris Rock. 
Is it Chris Rock? I don't think it was Chris Rock. Some some personality. Might have been. Kind of similar, a comedian. Yeah. Man, it was. Uh, he just did an awesome job with yeah. it. But they're walking through the jungle, and there's this nice little cute you know, duckling that's like going across the path back mm-hmm. and forth. And man, all of a sudden you've got like a snake crawls out <laughs> right? and, and tries to take <laughs> out this, this duck and the, right. and they're like, Oh my goodness, what just happened? They take another <laughs> step further. And like, there's this like, you know, tiger behind the tree that's uh-huh. lurking and wanting yeah. to, wanting to eat them just raw and whole. And yeah. And right when they think it's it's good, here comes mm-hmm. this big alligator. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just yep. <laughs> sorry, sorry, buddy. Yep. <laughs> Life in the fallen world is it's dangerous and terrifying. It really is. It really is. And I think it's like that, and it's natural. It's natural state. And the Ursby, um, they they write that nature that the original creation was good, but not because it was intrinsically good, but because it was created by a good God. And I think that we could say the same thing about the terror within creation. It's terrifying, not because it's intrinsically terrifying, but because it was created by a terrifying God. Yeah. And and that's those two things, package deal. Mm-hmm. We, we can't talk correctly about the goodness of right. God without also bringing in his severity mm-hmm. and the terrifying aspect of his wrath. You can't talk about his severity and his, and his wrath without talking about the goodness of God. Absolutely. The, the two always go together. As much as we want to distinguish those mm-hmm. in a postmodern culture, you just can't do it. No, you really can't. Can't do it. You really can't. So, yeah, in goodness here, we, we move from creation now mm-hmm. to the natural law, to the mm-hmm. moral law. Yeah. Right? And, and this is something that we look at the moral law, this conscience, this God consciousness that he's given us. Mm-hmm. People instinctively know, Romans 2 will talk about this, mm-hmm. right and wrong. Uh, they know some essence of uh, offense versus non-offense. Right, right. Um, and, and God has, Lewis would say that God has infused that into humanity by being created in the image of God, mm-hmm. which is good. But he goes from, from creation, which is one thing now, to the moral law. Yeah. And so how does, how, how does goodness go how do they correlate? How can you go from talking about goodness to the natural law, the moral law of humanity? Yeah. Yeah. And instinctively where Lewis lands on this is he says, Hey, you know, we've got a beautiful creation. Things happen in creation that reflect a natural law. Mm-hmm. There's something behind it. Right. So mm-hmm. Lewis would say this just didn't, didn't appear. Mm-hmm. Didn't all of a sudden show up big bang theory kind of thing. This actually shows intelligent design, and behind all of these things, there's a law of nature, mm-hmm. right? And, and the law of nature is things like gravity. Right. Man, if you walk off a cliff, you're going to fall. Right. If you throw a rock, it's eventually going to hit hit the ground. You know, there's, there's laws, there's instinctive things, there's natural things that happen, and there's no way around those laws. They're there. Mm-hmm. They're there for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's something behind those laws right and why they're put there right it's by these laws that the entire world exists the way it does things work because of these laws yeah but then you have the moral law yeah and the moral law is different yeah (laughs) well what i think about my moral law Mm -hmm. says that you know i could do what i want Mm -hmm. as long as it makes me feel good and Mm -hmm. you know i can still be the king of my own world right That's, that's my moral law yeah you know, so, so don't mess with my, my moral law, your moral law. Yeah. Well, it's not yours, you know, (laughs) makes you feel good. I don't like it. I want it to feel good for me, you know? Right. Um, we played a game with the youth where 
there were it was called possibilities. There were no wrong answers. So we put a possibility on the screen. It says you're now the queen of the world. You can make any law, any of these four laws go into effect. And everybody has to try to figure out which of those laws you picked. Well, you're going to have a hard time figuring out which one you'd pick because they picked because you know which one you'd pick. And right. it's going to be very different with the way you would like the world to work. Right. And that's that's the moral law. We well, that's not the moral law, but that's the dilemma of it. Right, right, and it, and it gets really challenging, right? Because, hey, man, if you're a, of a particular religion mm-hmm. and people group, flying planes into towers, mm-hmm. that might actually be a moral thing for you to do. Right, you know, you're acting out of the morality that you feel mm-hmm. is the morality of of humanity. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like, man, that's not that's not the same moral law at all. I'd rather if you didn't do that. You're right. We're on a we're on a different wavelength, and man, just look at the news today. Yeah. My goodness. I mean, you, this it's interesting to be doing this podcast, mm-hmm. talking about the moral law today, because everybody wants to to define what's mm-hmm. right and wrong by their standard. Yeah. Not by a standard, not by the standard, even, mm-hmm. but by their personal standard. Mm-hmm. You know. So what's right for you? it might not be right for the next guy. Right. But they want to believe it is. Right. You know, and, and the other thing is nobody wants, is Lewis is so good at this. He's, nobody wants um, an ultimate standard. Yeah. Because if there is an ultimate standard, then we all got to, mm-hmm. we all got to live up to that standard. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, but, but nobody, you know, to say this in a very kind of brash way, most mm-hmm. people don't care about justice until they've been a victim of injustice. Right. And then all of a sudden, everybody's crying out for justice. Right, right. Well, well justice in the eyes of who? <clears throat> mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's um, it's just this dilemma we're in. So here's what Lewis says, and I love this in his first chapter. Whenever you find a man who says he does not believe in a real right and wrong, and he capitalizes mm-hmm. right and wrong there. Mm-hmm. You know, so whenever you find a man who does not believe in a real standard, mm-hmm. you will find the same man going back on this a moment later. Yeah. He may break his promise to you, but mm-hmm. if you try breaking one to him, he's going to be complaining. That's right. not, that's not fair. Right. You can't, you can't treat me like that. Yeah. And so in, in many ways, Lewis is going to conclude that everybody's a hypocrite. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was a kid, someone, my, my older brother, I'd get up from the movie. I'd go get some popcorn or something. When I'd come back, my brother took my seat and I'd say, you took my seat. And he, in his eyes, well, it's fine for him to take my seat. Move your feet, lose your seat, pal. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the law here. <laughs> In my eyes, no, it was mine first. I should get to have it, you know? Yeah. Clearly, it's only the moral law is subjective to what we want. Right. But there clearly is a standard. Right. There has to be a standard. There has to be. And so it seems then, Lewis says, we are forced to believe in a real right and wrong. Mm-hmm. So people may sometimes be mistaken about them, just as people might sometimes get their sums wrong, mm-hmm. but it's not a mere matter of taste and opinion. Right. Is it, at the end of the day, something somebody has got to call the standard what it is right. and, and use it to measure everything against. Here's a, the last paragraph in, in chapter one of Mere Christianity. These then are the two points I want to make. Lewis writes, first, human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and they cannot really get rid of that. Mm-hmm. Totally understand. I mean, I, this is off the quote here. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's absolutely right. Yeah. In the nature of humanity. Then he goes on, secondly, that they do not 
in fact, behave in that way. Mm-hmm. We all want this standard, but none of us mm-hmm. live up to even what we would uh, consider our own standards. Right. They know the law of nature. They break it. Mm-hmm. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe in which we live. Yeah. Man. And I love, he talks about this earlier on in the book, I think. And he says, he's talking about, you know, the Nazis and everything that happened in World War II. And he says, how are we to tell them that they were in the wrong if there is no standard? There has to be a standard so that they know what they were doing was wrong so that we can come in and say, what you're doing is wrong and it has to stop. Right. Otherwise, we had no right to do that. Yeah. And there's no one to say that what they were doing was wrong. Why is Hitler's standard any better than your standard? Exactly. You know, for him, he was acting in his own morality. Right. You know, right. th- this is the conundrum that we have. And the fourth, the chapter before this, the fifth one, we have cause to be uneasy mm-hmm. is called, um, there's something behind the moral law. Mm-hmm. And that something Lewis would say is a someone, mm-hmm. right? And it, and it leads us ultimately to the gospel. So how does, how does C.S. Lewis's view of, of goodness lead us to the gospel? Let's, uh, let's use this as our final point here. Well, if we're talking about there being a standard, right, if there is some good, perfect standard, then we have to see how we measure up to it. And that's where he begins to lead in to this idea that there has to be, if he's talking about a God, if that standard is God and he's perfect and pure, how would we compare to him? I think clearly we all know we would not measure up very well at all. Right. You know, Um, when I was... Here's a question. Here's a an issue that an, an atheist once posed to me uh, in a previous job I had. We were talking, and and he said, "I would hope that if there was a God and he really was a good God, he wouldn't send me to hell just for not believing in him." Hmm. And I was like, "Well, I would hope that too, but if there was a good God, he'd have to recognize how not good I am." Yeah. You yeah. know, and that's that's the standard. That's that's what Lewis, the argument he's trying to make here, is that if there is a perfect standard, how do we measure up? If we are the, that, that's how we classify sinners. He goes into this whole thing and he says, if there is a God, Christianity seems to be the only one that talks about there being a standard and that talks about there being forgiveness within that standard. Mm-hmm. And he moves into talking about Christ. And I mean, just in chapter five alone, he talks about God coming as a person and bringing about forgiveness that can't be understood aside from the moral law. Right. Yeah. If, if God in fact is the standard, mm-hmm. typically we would say moral law is a great thing. Mm-hmm. You know, is, is it right not to kill another person? Absolutely, man. This is a, this is good to have some sense of a moral law, right? And some sense of a society that functions underneath the moral law. Is it is it bad to lie to another person? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's bad. Yeah. You know, why do we covet our neighbor's belongings or a neighbor's spouse? Mm-hmm. Even that's those are bad things that we would look back and say, you know what? There's there's something instinctively inside of us that knows, man, cheating on my taxes is not the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's this standard and we all say it's, it's a good thing that that standard is there because without those standards, man, society would just be, uh, again, eat or be eaten, right? do what you want to do. Who's to say your, your opinion, your lifestyle is right. Mine is wrong. Your standards are right. Mine is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like we're just going to live and yeah. call this a great hunky dory party and figure out life together. Right. I mean, we're all like, we're looking for comfort 
without our own standards. So we want to be comfortable. And when we realize that there is a standard that we're not meeting up to, that makes us uncomfortable. And so it seems like God is a lack, he brings a lack of comfort, but that's only when we're out of line with him. Yeah. And so I like, he's got this quote right at the end of chapter five. He says, comfort is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with. And in the end, despair. That's that's exactly right. If God is good, mm-hmm. who in the world can stand up to his standards? Right. Who can fulfill the moral law on their own capacity? And that and that's the that is the job of the law in mm-hmm. scripture. Paul tells us the law is our tutor to bring us to Christ. Yeah. The law reveals sin in our heart. Mm-hmm. The apostle Paul um I would not have known what sin was if it wasn't through the law. Mm-hmm. It's still good. It's still holy. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. But apart from the get from the law, I wouldn't know what sin is, mm-hmm. man. And so, so the moral law and this idea that God is good, it is not immediately a comforting thought when right. you when you deep when you dig a little bit deeper. This is not uh, a fluffy. No. God's Santa Claus kind of thing. Right. You're not going to get coal in your stocking sort of deal. This mm-hmm. is, oh my goodness, if there, if God really is good, he must hate most mm-hmm. of what I do. Mm-hmm. And he has to deal with evil and sin. Yeah. If he's a good God, he has to deal with it. Mm-hmm. If he's not a good God, it doesn't matter. Right. But if he's the, not good, he's not just. It's going gonna, it's gonna to compel him to be just. It's going to compel him to to deal with it. Yeah. Um, the best he can. And, and I love this is another quote from chapter five here. He says, the moral law does not give us any grounds for thinking that God is good in the sense of being indulgent or soft or sympathetic. Mm-hmm. There's nothing indulgent about the moral law. It's hard as nails. Lewis says, it tells you the straight thing to do. It doesn't care how painful, how dangerous or how difficult it is to get to do. If God is like the moral law, he is not soft. And it is no use at this sage saying that what you mean by God, by a good God mm-hmm. is a God who can forgive. Because if you move too quickly past that, man, you've missed your own heart and your own need Yeah, for the goodness of God. Absolutely. Um, and so whenever we realize that there is that, you know, you, like you said, who can measure up, you know, we cannot. Then he brings in this whole idea of Christianity. There is, someone who came, God made himself into a person, and then he, he comes and he, he offers forgiveness of our lack of ability to measure up, forgiveness of our choosing not to measure up. Um, and it's it seems almost contradictory to his entire being of, I am the measure. If you cannot measure up, I will destroy kind of thing. Right? If I hate it, I destroy it because I'm perfect and pure. Right? right. So he brings in this whole, well, then he comes and he offers forgiveness how do these two reconcile each other? Mm. You know, how can you disregard something imperfect if you are entirely perfect? Mm. Christianity is the only one that offers the sacrifice of, here's an entirely perfect person who takes us and substitutes himself for my lack of imperfection, my lack of perfection. Right, right. It's, it's good news because it's what God did for us mm-hmm. that we couldn't do for ourselves. Right. You know, in, in order to satisfy his goodness mm-hmm. and to complete this perfection of his character, mm-hmm. He took all of that wrath and that justice out mm-hmm. 
on Christ on the cross so that we yeah. can be beneficiaries of grace and mercy and yeah. and forgiveness, which is amazing. But, you know, when you first hear this Christianity, it, it doesn't sound like wishful thinking. I mean, no. The yeah. farthest, when you hear people say like, eh, you know, you turn to religion because you need that for comfort mm-hmm. in your life and, and you need to feel better about yourself and um, you know, have, have some kind of like self, self-help, self-awareness, self-improvement mm-hmm. process. And so you're going to go to church and, uh, and appease this God by your actions or whatever. That is not the God of the Bible. No. Lewis, Lewis says, all of us need to face the facts of Christianity. And the facts are this. The, the first time you see a moral standard from God who is good that is not a comforting fact for any person apart from Christ. That is mm-hmm. a that is a terrifying fact. Yeah, and it and it terrifies us because if it's true, mm-hmm. again, we have offended the standards. We have offended the holiness and the goodness of God. Yeah, and if He's good, He's got to deal justly with that. Yeah, what that means is we got to go. We He's going to say, if you do the very thing I don't want you to do, right, you will die. Yeah. Right. And and even that command is a good command mm-hmm. from a good God. Yeah. Right. Because because He doesn't want to perpetuate evil and, mm-hmm. and He doesn't want a, a lifestyle of wickedness. So, the facts of Christianity, when you face them at the beginning, it is not a comforting mm-hmm. fact. It's a terrifying fact, as it appeals to salvation to to our need mm-hmm. for salvation. But eventually, when we see the gospel, when we see Christ who comes along, he is the one who is good. Even though this, there's this mysterious passage in the gospels that says, you know, why do you call me good? Mm-hmm. Nobody is good, but the father, we, we can explore that yeah. maybe sometime. I don't know what to make of that. Sometime soon. It's a, it's a tough one, else. man. It's a tough one. Yeah. But, um, here's, here's a good God who fulfills the standard. Mm-hmm. He, he completes the moral law. Mm-hmm. He fulfills a- every aspect of always being doing the right thing, pleasing God yeah. in everything that he did. And he dies on a cross unjustly for us yeah. so that through his righteousness, we who are unrighteous might mm-hmm. be declared righteous right? because of the cross. And man, the way that Lewis develops that is just um, makes you, number one, all of us have to do this. All of us got to look in the mirror. Mm-hmm and see that apart from Christ, we are unchangeably and unquestionably bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're created in the image of God. There's a sense of, um, of being, um, having a, a God consciousness mm-hmm. because of that. But apart from him, we are sinners and we are, we are condemned. Absolutely. Uh, separation from him. When we see that, that the standards that he has put forward, that none of us can fulfill them, none of us, you know, how long, how long would it take today to say that, man, I'm going to, I'm going to walk according to the Royal law to love my neighbor as myself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I'd probably last two minutes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. There, there's a sense here of, man, we're self-reflecting. We're seeing our hearts for what they are and our mm-hmm. need, our need for the gospel. And then we're just drawn that much more to the beauty of what Christ has done for us. Yeah. Like, man, this guy from God, who is God mm-hmm. came to the earth, humbled himself, fulfilled God's perfect standards. Yeah and righteous demands. And then he gave it all up for us yeah. because of his love for us. Yeah. Before Christ, my sinfulness 
made me feel separated from God, made me feel ashamed, made me feel uh, afraid of him. Post-Christ, my sinfulness just reminds me of how much he loves me. Man, no doubt. And um, another thing to point out just before we close here is the answer to the law in in this righteous standard, it's not that we preach the law less Mm -hmm. or not preaching the law not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the answer is is to preach the law and to preach it hard, right? Against the heart of man to show to show our sinfulness, mm-hmm. to reveal our hearts for what they are. Yeah, against God. And so when we see when we see the law, the righteous demands. Again, we're going to preach the law and we're going to say, "Good luck, man. Nobody can totally fulfill this." Mm-hmm. Jesus ups the standard. Even you know you have said it, heard of those of old. Mm-hmm. You shall not commit adultery. I tell you, if you've looked at a person with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart already. I mean, he mm-hmm. he just levels the playing field. So we, we still want to preach the law, but we want to preach it in a way mm-hmm. that will ultimately lead to Christ. Yeah. Every time. Absolutely. But any uh, any big plans this weekend? Tonight, we're going to an outdoor concert. Um, no kidding. Yeah, one of the local lodges around here, they're, they have, uh, they're doing a free just outdoor live music kind of thing. So we're doing that tonight and then just relaxing this weekend. You know, been making sure to take Saturdays, be very serious about not working on Saturdays. Yeah. Uh, Sabbath is important. <laughs> Everybody needs the rest, man. Yes. Got to take a, take a step away. I, and I'm talking to myself when I say that. <laughs> need it. I right. need it too. That's cool, man. You yeah. probably, would you think if you grew up in the sixties, you'd be a hippie? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I'd be like one of those long haired friends of Jesus. That's what <laughs> yeah. I've heard it put in a song once. <laughs> little Keith Green. Yeah, little, yeah, little Keith Green in there. Oh my goodness. Curly haired friend of Jesus. Well, I hope you and uh, you and Rachel have a good time. Thank you. Yeah. Over I think there. it'd be good. Uh, what about you? What do you got going on? And also, would you be a hippie? It's a good, it's a great question. I think I probably would have. Yeah. Yeah. It's fair. I, I do like classic rock. Like, I love. I like a lot of the music that came out of the sixties mm. is extremely creative and yeah. did a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Um, but no big plans this weekend though, man, I'm going to try to stay in the AC. Probably got baseball practice with the kids. Hey, that's fun. Let's get a little sun out there. I'm nice. pitching for my kid's baseball team. Wow. Good Just for you. Horribly, uh, um, <laughs> man, so much pressure. Yeah. It's coach, it's coach pitch. So if the coach <laughs> can't pitch strikes, yeah, man, every mom and dad is like, get this guy out of here. <laughs> are, you, are you afraid maybe there's going to be scouts there who are looking for <laughs> They might find you. Man. Well, hey, whatever you're doing this weekend, we hope you guys have a great one. Uh, we'll be back next week for more of Hidden God. Might have to take a week off. Uh, our sound producer here is going on vacation. So mm-hmm. so look for episode 10 to come along shortly. And thanks for thanks for listening. <laughs>